Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very senior professional who's now pursuing his passion from Singapore, Mr. Sid Das. Sid, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Hello to all the viewers and listeners as well. Thank you. Uh, Sid is the founder of Impact Movement Asia, uh, where he is mapping out the impact ecosystem in an Asian context. He was earlier with Google and WWF, and he's a keen travel photographer. So Sid, before we talk about impact, tell me a little bit about your own amazing journey from technology to nature to impact. Yeah, I think you've pretty much just nailed the headline of my career trajectory, right? So it started with technology and I completely was in awe of the advances technology actually makes in today's mm -hmm. world. Then I moved to sustainability and thinking of how nature conservation could benefit from that technology. Mm -hmm. So I think I've got to a stage where uh, because of a few of my experience, which I'll talk about in detail as well, mm -hmm. I'm now looking at impact largely from what people can do as well. And I, I think it's a it's a mission that you would uh, you know, align very closely with. Mm -hmm. On people who want to do, want to make a difference, leave, leave a lasting legacy in, on, on, on the world around them. How do they get started? How do they get started as individuals? How do they get started as uh, parts of organizations, as parts of companies? Mm -hmm. And how do they get organized, you know, uh, create an impact as voters? What do they need to know before they kind of decide what kind of government policies to support and things like that as well? So. Mm -hmm. My whole idea here was to kind of start looking at impact, keeping the individual at the center of it mm -hmm. and all the roles that they need to play. So that's mm -hmm. fundamentally what I've done. But from a 2002 working in a dial-up internet startup in Hyderabad, India, mm -hmm. to moving to the, the behemoth that was Google that then taught me how products are built, how products are scaled, to also creating a culture, a culture of equity, a culture of some of, of you know, of actually being part of a, you, you felt the ownership in every project you took on in Google as well. Mm -hmm. From there to working with WWF, which I thought was the most global innovation and uh, impact incubator I could find because we mm -hmm. were working in 100, 100 plus countries, each with a very, very local flavor of projects trying mm -hmm. to solve global problems as well. Right. So that was a big learning for me mm -hmm. that not all solutions can work in every part of the world. What mm. works in Asia to in Africa to Latin America depends on context. Mm. And how do you kind of then customize your solutions to work there, including technology solutions as well? And then I was leading Earth Hour, the world's largest grassroots movement for seven years as part of my stint there. Mm -hmm. And that truly told me how eager people were to participate in environmental movements. It was just that it was if it's really, really hard, people then drop off very quickly. So you had to have a hook that brings people in, mm. makes it fun. Uh, Earth Hour was always about hope and not about fear. Mm. So that was a big insight and learning as well, that people tend to celebrate things much more easier mm -hmm. than people tend to protest stuff. And I feel like the protest gets a lot of media, a lot of news because people are generally angry. Mm. But I also think for a long-term systemic involvement of people, there needs to be cause for celebration. So a celebration and event hooks people in and then how they kind of take them on the journey for, for, for sustainability and impact was something that I learned from Earth Hour. Mm. 
So that's 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 where I kind mm-hmm. of ended, and and just like with COVID, all of us had a chance to relook our lives, yeah, right. and where we're doing what we're doing. So that's when I decided to start my own consultancy, which focused more on, like I said, impact, keeping the individual's viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And I, after a year, decades and decades of trying to build products that scale, mm-hmm. I decided to build a product that does not scale. So yeah, I'm a solopreneur. I do 90% of the work in this company myself. I have people who help me design videos and flyers when I need them, but mm-hmm. this is limited by my ability to do stuff. Amazing. It also then helps me go deeper into certain problems and not actually get, you know, a mission creep that I have to solve everything at, at once. Yeah. It's a very interesting journey. It's lonely. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. Mm-hmm. But I then feel like I had to go out and build a community of like-minded people. So it's really forced me to, come out of my big company scalable products mode into something that genuinely is something I believe in and something I can scale to the best of my ability. I'll just stop there to give you and oh, then what, what a great response. Thank you. So let's talk about impact movement Asia. Right. Um, you say that you want to map out the impact ecosystem in an Asian context. Right. Tell me a little bit of what you're doing and why do you say that the context in Asia could be different? Right. That's a great question. And it's a question I've spent grappling quite a bit as well, Mm -hmm. because whenever you read, you know, the BBC or the Guardian or whenever you read all your popular sources of, you know, nature and conservation magazines and articles, it always Mm -hmm. comes out to be like there is a there is a there is a colonial mindset in conservation that is set. And I mean that in 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 a, in a, in, a, in, the, in the most respectful way possible. Yeah. But I, I just had the, the capital flow from money, the way the funders are located, mm. the way people think about society is based a lot on what's happening in a in a in a US and the UK and Germany and mm. Sweden. Hmm. And not so much of what's happening in 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 Indonesia or in the you know in the in the in in the fields of Vietnam. Hmm. But the part that I also realize is because of the the idea that conservation solutions and the way we measure impact and way we think of impact cannot be the same across the world. Hmm. I genuinely think I I want to kind of start mapping out what that sustainability or what that looks like in a Asian context. Mm. And for me, the number one thing was I was part of the Android team at Google. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the, the, the big shift for me then was that Google wasn't going after the US and the UK markets. They were mm. going after Vietnam and Indonesia and India and you know, that mm. those markets to begin yeah. with. So it told me that not just the number of people but the diversity, the potential for progress, the potential to leapfrog generations of sustainable mindset to move to a completely new thing mm. is probably going to come from Africa, India, and Latin America. That's mm-hmm. at least my take on it. And since I'm based here in Singapore, I thought I'll start by focusing on Asia sure. and seeing where that takes me. Interesting. And a lot of impact, uh, Sid, is driven through the SDGs. Uh, my question is, how are some of these SDGs being interpreted right. in Asia um, as compared to some of the other developed world? Yeah, so I think this might turn out to be a bit controversial in my thinking, but this is mm. purely my thinking and not endorsed by anybody else. So yeah. please don't give me hate mail on Twitter. <laughs> <Absolutely>. but, <laughs> but fundamentally, what I think uh, Ashutosh was that 
SDGs were a great start. It mm. was a great start. It was communicated really well. So most people kind of wrap their head around something that we need something like sustainable development goals. Mm. But what I'm reading conclusively from all the UN reports is that it's, it's getting difficult to meet SDGs because they're a little too high level, a little too broad for people to have a genuine impact. Mm. So while I think that, uh, while I think SDGs are great and it's being actually measured in different ways, but I think as the whole UN compact, I think we're all coming together with the same kind of framework. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 helpful. But I genuinely think that organizations and individuals and companies and governments need to go one step further. Correct. So something like a B Corp certification, which I think is uh, something that, that's been created by B Labs. And I just think that B Corp really genuinely asks the question on how can companies sustainably exist with their environmental and their social goals. So it's mm. not just environment, it's also the yeah. people looking for it, right? Mm. So environmental and social goals. And it, it's a rigorous process, which also means that then you have to have buy-in within the organization, buy-in within your employees, mm. buy-in within your stakeholders to support the fact that they want to get a B Corp certification. Mm. I think, and I genuinely feel this, that all small, medium businesses should at least try and map this out to see, can they go ahead and create this? Mm. Because once they go through that process, it genuinely gives them an insight into what kind of long-term sustainable impact they can have. Mm. Well, so, I think, so SDGs are great, but I think we can definitely do better as a society. Oh, absolutely. In fact, the the, the predecessor of the SDGs were the MDGs. MDGs, yeah. And I served on the Gavi board, which is fourth and fifth MDG for vaccines for eight years in Geneva. And that used to be a discussion on MDGs also. Right. So the SDGs came as a new avatar and right. went from eight MDGs, eight goals to 17 goals. Exactly. Right. But tell me, uh, when you talk impact, said, are you focusing on some of the areas or which ones have you selected to start with? Yeah. And I think I'll, I'll also be honest that as a solopreneur, it all depends on what motivations drive you at certain Absolutely point. Absolutely. Right. Right? Mm. And I feel like I've always subscribed to the vision of a company, the mission of a company, mm. but to actually the ability to write it for yourself and the ability to change that depending on what context has been quite freeing, but also quite scary. Mm. So the, the kind of things that I'm looking at right now, like I said, what I thought I'll do was because of my Earth Hour experience, where I saw mm. it being celebrated in over 200 countries in different ways, whether it was, you know, fresh water in, in, in Cape Town mm. versus air pollution in Beijing, people took that movement and adapted it to what suited them. Mm. I think that was my jumping off point to say, what if I put people in the middle of all of all of what I'm mm -hmm. trying to do, right? So some of the questions I'm trying to answer right now are, how can young adults approach philanthropy? Mm. Why should this idea of foundations only be available to the ultra rich? Why mm. can't somebody with a little bit of disposable capital think of philanthropy yeah. as something that they can do? And especially as young adults, because I'm, I'm a new parent. So I've now seen how my perspective of the world has changed because of, because of my son. And I see the world I need to leave to him has to have some element of, of, of you know, of, uh, of sustainability and tangibility attached to it. So I feel like the way we are thinking about philanthropy, my wife and I has changed. So why mm. can't that happen at a, at a model that works for most young adults? Mm. The second part is how can employees in large organizations align their personal and professional values. Mm. I find incredible number of, you know, people who care about women's rights, but they end up, you know, selling soap or selling mobile phones. Mm. And they're so stuck in that day job that their passion for 
working on women's rights just becomes something you do on social media. You might change Correct. your profile picture, you might do all of that, but you'd never go one step deeper. Correct. What if there was, you know, corporate level training on how people can align it? And I also feel like the whole, I mean, um, there's nothing against beach cleanup, but I feel organizations can do more than just beach Absolutely. cleanup. Absolutely. So how do you kind of do that? And the last part that I think I'm really, really keen to, and I've been struggling to kind of model, put a business model to it is, how can citizens understand public policy? I feel mm-hmm. like as before I joined WWF, I hadn't read a single public policy paper. I had no idea what public policy was when it came to just even the basics of our day-to-day life, but more so with nature and environment. Mm-hmm. How do I get it to a point where just like you were talking about, you know, using Chingari or using TikTok, can a public policy paper, which normally seems dense, mm. be, you know, be uh, distilled into a format that then starts to make it easy for you to take decisions on what you want to do? Mm. And I think that at the government level will then truly look at people to say, okay, it's good to know that our government focuses on one, two, and three, but it's mm. sad that they don't focus on four, five, and six. And it gives them a really nice discussion point. And I feel like most of the time I've been impressed with environmental conversations around my network have been with people who understand public policy. They know how ideas can be made into laws and not just a Facebook campaign, for lack of a better word, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like that last part of taking people through that journey will probably be the way in which I can look at an individual, at an individual level, a family level, at a corporate level by being mm-hmm. employees, by training and upskilling. And the last part is to truly understand how public policy works mm-hmm. from a from a tangible, uh, from a, from a, a, a easily distilled, uh, distilled uh, format. Mm. That's a great response. Thank you. You know, I think the, and I'd love to uh, keep tracking you on how you're getting public policy, uh, first the message out and second, right. actually get people to implement mm-hmm. uh, some of the initiatives that you and other members are taking. But I just want to ask you one more question on philanthropy because you sure. spoke about philanthropy and I've done some work on it. Uh, philanthropy in Asia is still at its very, very nascent stages. I mean, uh, all of us in our own ways do philanthropy, but how many of us actually say that we're going to leave all our wealth or 90% of our wealth to another organization? Um, I can speak for India. I mean, I don't know what your perspectives are in the rest of Asia. Yeah, I think I, I think it's the same. But, but I think I've also kind of walked away thinking that most of us in Asia are charitable just with our, within our DNA, right? Mm. I remember ever since I was four years old, my parents used to take me to a temple to feed right. people there. And that was something which I thought was the most natural thing to do. Absolutely. So on the days you're celebrating something, you also kind of take care of people who are there. Yeah. So one of the big parts that I've also now realized, is I think philanthropy is looked at exactly as you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's become a little too stylish of a term. What I'm now kind of trying to look at is what are the easy ways in which people can actually, you know, support causes. Like, for mm-hmm. example, uh, my wife and I, we, we we had a dog who passed away from cancer mm-hmm. a few years ago, and it was one of the most shattering experiences of our life. Mm-hmm. But what we never forgot was how good the veterinarians around Singapore were, how mm-hmm. kind they were, how much yeah. help they were. So from that moment onward, we decided that we're going to support veterinary schools and veterinary clinics to the best of our ability. Amazing. Whether it is us donating directly to them mm. or using our network to organize fundraisers mm. or just doing something where we put a gala together and invite them into the gala as well. Mm. So I think there are so many elements and, and because both of us at events uh, been as part of our work, 
we used to always get them a podium to speak and then just get them to inspire the crowd as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that was what, when I realized that philanthropy could actually be functional. So I call this functional philanthropy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean even if you don't have a dollar to spare, there are things you can do. There are things you can do by providing your pro bono services to somebody with, you know, to, 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 to create a good uh, design campaign or to create a good artwork. Mm. A lot of my designer friends have created logos for organizations for free. And that logo really works because then it suddenly gives credibility and ingenuity okay. to that particular organization. So I'm thinking more at that level and how can young adults then support, uh, you know, support causes for a period of four to five years. So it's not mm. even just a, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of philosophy. It's something which actually is mm. a slow trip. Mm. So you see the progress and you can measure the impact. Wonderful. Uh, moving on, Sid, uh, you know, when you talk about impact, it means different things to different individuals. But I also see in boardrooms, discussion is beginning to happen. How seriously is impact being taken in boardrooms? Yeah, I think impact is being taken... I think it's been the most serious in the last decade it is done now. I just genuinely feel like people are standing up to the fact that if you look at the Edelman barometer, to the 2020 report, mm. building a brand trust comes from you having integrity as a brand. Mm. And especially with the Gen Zs who genuinely want the brand to kind of, you know, uh, to, to, to actually walk the talk and not just yeah. do something which is considered greenwashing. I feel like more and more consumers, especially at the at a product level where it's not just the basics, it's something mm. which has a, a amount of aspirational value to it. Everybody's expecting that as mm. well. So I just think that the, the, the consumer shift has forced the board to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. The number of uh, chief impact officers who are now around the globe are so much higher than what it used to be even a few few years ago. Which also now tells me that people are genuinely thinking about that. Mm -hmm. With ESG reporting being a, 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 a prerequisite in most countries and most companies in the world, people now are doing that as, as part of their day-to-day -day job. How do you mm -hmm. kind of tie that into impact? So mm -hmm. I feel like all of that is a great science. My the flip side to that is this is the I mean we're we're all hearing impending recession coming through and uh, you know people are tightening their belts. I genuinely want to see what happens in this next few market cycles. Right, mm. people still able to do it? Are people still able to put the teams together? Are people still able to do that? Because I feel like that's going to really give us an idea of how much the boards are behind that mm. when there is so much more pressure on delivering the core business. Mm. Well said. Uh, my next question to you is on, on culture. Uh, what is your perspective on whether culture has an impact on impact? Yeah, culture has a massive effect on impact. At least that's what I think, right? So mm -hmm. I think most of the problems that we're trying to look at and trying to solve mm -hmm. have been in the ecosphere for a long time. I mean, I remember the time when it was called global warming to now climate change. I remember all of those moments, but there was a, there was a point in time where climate change moved from just the boardrooms to the living rooms, right? And I feel like that shift, when that started to happen consistently, we are talking about it in schools, we are talking about it in, in, your, in, in your local clubs, when climate change starts to impact all of that, mm. people genuinely then demanded action. And I feel like that's why, I mean, a few years ago, you never heard about a COP summit happening anywhere in the world. If you did, 
it'll be in one of those real like 17th page of guardian that you'd read but now mm -hmm. read it front and that center is, in almost yeah. all the media right so yeah. i feel like culture does play a part also i think the actors right so i mean as 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 cliche that it is my sustainability journey began with al gore's inconvenient truth that was the first mm -hmm. time i heard it and i think it was packaged to me at the right time at the right place and i just said oh if you have people like al gore people who are really larger than life at that point in time talk about something like this mm -hmm. there's no reason why we can't which is why as part of the wwf i used to hate the fact that we got the most amount of cut through when leonardo dicaprio supported our campaigns mm -hmm. and i'm like come on we do such great work we don't need a leo to do that but i understood that if leo tweets about it or talks about it there's an added layer layer okay. of chutzpah that just comes in and yeah, that's so I think culture impacts Greta Thunberg, everybody who's the Fridays for Future, everybody who's kind of creating newer ways of bringing people into it are, are super helpful. And we all need to kind of learn from each other. And Amazing. So I said I have time for two more questions. Uh, I'm going to now move from impact to your passion for photography. Right. Tell me about this passion. What are you doing and how are you continuing to find time to pursue your passion? Right. So this is uh, this is one of the biggest gifts to me and one of my biggest advice to any young person, especially young people who are having desk jobs, right, where we just sit behind a computer. It's more strategy, Excel sheets, you know, creating fundraising proposals and stuff. Mm. So I think the my passion for photography was one, I wanted to do something physical. Mm -hmm. Two, I wanted to do something that was creative. I genuinely thought that the creative part of it was getting a little bit stagnated as part of my work. Hmm. Yes, one can argue that you can find creativity in anything that you do. But for me, Correct. it was genuinely trying to be creative. So every and as part of my previous two roles, I had to travel quite a bit. So hmm. whenever I used to go to a new place, I used to be the person who wakes up at four in the morning and goes hmm. for a walk and gets some photos before the morning meetings began. Right. Hmm. So it forced me to also be disciplined there. And I genuinely think activating that side of the brain has helped me become a better employee, a better leader, a better, you know, a, a better parent, a better spouse. So I think it's just that it's framed something for me. Mm. And I genuinely feel like the idea, the, the best part of photography for me is the fact that the same photo can be viewed a hundred different ways okay. and what you genuinely bring to it and how different can you make that frame mm. is, is where the challenge lies. So I think that looking at the same problems like climate change, like food security, like deforestation and looking at it from your unique point of view and putting a frame on it, mm. I think is akin to my love for photography. So Amazing. that's something that I absolutely know. Amazing. And my last question to you, said, and this is for the, many, many people who listen to our conversation, based on your own amazing journey and all the work that you're doing on impact, what would you say are three learnings or three lessons you want our viewers and listeners to take away? Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think the first one would be don't wait too long. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the world is meant to create impact in any possible way that they can. Yeah. Don't wait to have the right amount of money or the right amount of stature in society to kind of start thinking about impact. You can start at every level. Correct. The, the second thing that I thought was quite important was just uh, just learn how to fundraise early in your life, mm. right? Because once you're able to get over that hump of asking for money mm. and once you put money on the table, most projects can actually at least start and sustain itself for a period of time. Mm. And I think the people who don't have that 
the the personality or don't have the the, the need to fundraise always kind of keep thinking without actually putting into action because there's just no resources left on the table. Mm. So learn to fundraise early. Mm. And the last part is just, uh, you know, a lot of people who work in the impact sector are very kind and very generous. Mm. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their, mm. with their sharing, the, sharing the glory. So I just feel like one thing is to just ask people for their time. Ask people mm. for their expertise. If you like somebody or somebody's talk on somewhere, send them a note to say, okay, hey, can I have 10 minutes of your time to discuss mm. something? Or send them a list of questions they can come back to. Mm. And most people always kind of respond with either a yes right away or maybe not now, but in, in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. But I think people in the impact sector are much more kinder with their time and generous with their time. So mm. I think we should all make use of that. Fantastic. And on that note, Sid, and your three amazing lessons, don't wait too long uh, to create an impact. Learn how to fund, raise early, and ask people for time. You also said, uh, do something you are passionate about. Uh, I think that's a very powerful statement you've made. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your own journey, about impact, and about all the work that you're doing in the area of impact in Asia. And finally, thank you so much for speaking to me about your passion for photography. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. Lovely speaking to you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.